Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here because uh, this is very nostalgic for me. Uh, 30 years ago plus, I was here as the youth pastor at New Village, and it was the beginning of my ministry career, uh, if you want to put it that way. Uh, we were, uh, my wife and family were, were, came in the middle of the, uh, the house across at first base uh, as that was being constructed, and, uh, and we moved into it soon after. So, uh, yeah, over 30 years of, of ministry and involvement, and uh, it's been exciting to uh, be able to, I've been looking forward to this. I, I was anxious to get back and just kind of uh, uh, see, I was hoping to be able to see faces. Uh, there's a couple here, but uh, that, that would have been a real pleasure to have been able to see some, some faces that, uh, that I remember. But um, I am excited to be able to say that I'm the pastor of uh, Harborview Christian Church out in Port Jeff, and uh, that, as of this past January, our church has been uh, a campus of Island Christian Church, which used to be Northport Baptist Church, and uh, we were a campus of that church for eight years, and then as of January 2020, uh, we went independent, and so we are out and on our own. Uh, for those of you that do remember me, um, uh, my first wife passed away, uh, Cheryl. If you remember uh, Cheryl, I'm sure you do, if you were here at that time. And uh, she passed away in 2012 of cancer. And uh, God gave me an opportunity at, uh, at Love Again. And uh, uh, I met uh, uh, Doreen and Doreen is, uh, is also uh, a widow of, uh, due to cancer. And so uh, God placed us together and, uh, six years ago. So that has been uh, quite a bit of transition for me. And, uh, but God is good. God is faithful. Uh, and he is, he is always uh, taking care and always accomplished what he has desired to accomplish in my life. And so I'm very grateful for that. So uh, I come with a, a message entitled, There's a Price. There's a Price. And uh, our passage this morning is found in John chapter 15, verses 9 through 27. And as we uh, work through this passage, um, I, uh, I have to say the, the last song that we just sang uh, spoke specifically to this. Uh, you know, Dave and I didn't have an opportunity to talk about uh, theme necessarily, but, uh, but it lined up very, very well, and uh, that's the Holy Spirit, and uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, but as we begin, would you join me as we, uh, as we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth, and thank you, Father, that we have the ability to be able to join together, even through technology, and accomplish uh, the, the very thing that you have called us to do, and that is to assemble. And Father, I pray that uh, as the word goes out this morning from here and other local churches, Lord, may the power of your Holy Spirit go with it. And uh, may it be anointed. May it be a time, Father, where we, we receive from you uh, all that you have for us. And I pray that you would use that uh, this time, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You've heard the statement, nothing is free. Nothing. 
uh, a statement I've been hearing all of my life. It, it rings in my head when I, when I see an advertisement for a new product or I, uh, I have, see an offer on the internet or even a pitch on the, on the phone call. There's a price for everything. It's clear uh, because we can see it in the fine print. And it's realized when that random bill comes in the mail. And I've been caught on this before, and uh, unfortunately, and maybe you have too. The one true free thing for us in this world is the price that Jesus Christ paid for us on the cross. But even that, our response to what Jesus did carries with it a responsibility of faith, obedience, and the charge to pass this message on to others. We're going to be getting into this a little bit later, so that's a little bit of a teaser. But the author, John, picks up the dialogue of Jesus with his disciples on the last night before his crucifixion. And it's in the upper room discourse, which is basically chapters 13 to 17 in in the Gospel of John. He's pouring into them everything that he wants them to know before he leaves the earth. And then back in chapter 14, he's assuring them of peace. In verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Here in chapter 15, we find him building on this reassurance beginning in verse 9. And he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. God's love. What comes to mind when thinking about the Father's love? Jesus wasn't simply saying, well, the Father loved him and he loved his disciples and the disciples loved each other. No, it goes deeper in that. He was saying, I love you the same way that my Father loves you. How much do you think God loves Jesus? We find in Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was baptized, he immediately went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God called Jesus beloved and that he was well pleased with him. When you think of God's love, do you think of him loving you like that? Jesus is saying here, I'm loving you the same way that my Father loves me. Hear it again. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The word abide means to to live in my love, to rest in my love, to be comforted in my love, to remain in my love, abide. And I think that we would all agree that it's easier said than done. Life has a way of pressing us into degrees of love that fall short of abiding in God's love. It can seem that everything is pulling us from the love of God. And it's not just the circumstances of the day 
that draw us away. It's the inner conflicts that we find that we uh, find that can do some of the most damage. Familiar sins that we struggle with. Relationships gone bad. Insufficiencies that tug at our self-worth. Impatience with God's timing. Insecurities. Believing lies about ourselves rather than the truth. These things all draw away from the love of God for us. Because if we were able to abide in His love, I believe it would produce in us peace and joy. How often in our day are we filled with peace? Can we say that we live life and that we, as we're living life, that we're joyfully, continually living life? So what's the answer? Abide in my love, Jesus said. Abide in my love. Be aware of God's love and provision in our lives. Let the object of our love be Jesus because he first loved us. If we abide in his love, all of life comes under that expression of love. Remember back when you, when you first fell in love with Jesus? There was a joy that welled up inside of you that was inexpressible. Remember? And then there was a peace that lifted the burdens of life off of your shoulders. So I have a question. Was that a one-time experience? Or is that the life that God meant for us to have continually? Abide in my love. How, you ask? Well, I'm glad you did because the very next verse, verse 10, tells us what the answer is. It says, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus modeled for us what He wants us to do. In other passages of of Scripture, He says, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, No, no, that's not right. Wait a minute. No, in, in Matthew 16, He says, Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. If anyone serves me, John 12, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then in John chapter 8, we find again Jesus speaking to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So it's pretty clear here. Jesus wants us to follow in his footsteps. Remember WWJD? That goes way back. But uh, what would Jesus do? It's not such a bad thing to keep in mind. Again, let's, let's look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. It seems like Jesus is telling his disciples, here are the conditions on following me. Okay, so here it is, the fine print. The price that we have to pay. I'll love you as long as you're obedient, but the moment you're disobedient, you can forget about me loving you anymore. 
Is that what Jesus is saying? No. What he's saying is he gave his disciples an important principle to help preserve their faith, to stay close to him, to be fruitful and to be obedient. He's actually saying, if you stay close in my love, you will be obedient. His love is not a result of obedience, but rather our obedience is the result of our love for him. Jesus is saying, I love you to the moon and back. And our response is, I love you too, Jesus, so what can I do to show you that love? Anything you want me to do, we love you. We love him because we obey him. In other words, you don't love, you don't obey Jesus so that we can get, get in good with him or, or get what we want. We're driven to obey Jesus by a heart that is filled with gratitude for the way that he pulled us out of this world and poured his love out on us. You can understand the difference when you think of a parent-child relationship. Some of us were raised with the understanding that if we kept the rules, then we wouldn't be punished. But if we didn't keep the rules, yeah, we'd get a beaten. Or there were others of us that we knew that we were loved and we kept the rules because of that love. In the next verse, verse 11, Jesus looks at the subject of joy. And he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. But in Isaiah chapter 53, we read that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knew more pain than anything that we've experienced. Yet beyond the pain, the sorrow, the affliction, and humiliation was somebody who demonstrated genuine joy. Speaking of Jesus' legacy to us, we may weep, we may endure pain, we may be crushed by the experience of life, but in the depths of our hearts and souls, there should be, there should be a spirit of joy. The source of our joy is Jesus. It says in verse 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. One commentary puts it this way, nothing sets a Christian apart more than the joy they exhibit in spite of their circumstances. And Jesus says that my joy may be in you. Well, where does Jesus' joy come from? Well, think about it. He was on his way home. He sat down, he was getting ready to sit down at the right hand of the Father and have his glory fully restored, the glory that he had enjoyed with the Father from eternity, and that joy he shares with us. So do you, do you see the, the bond or the connection that we have here between love and joy? The Father loves us. Jesus loves us. 
the love we have for the Father and Jesus, the love that we have for one another, all of that produces joy. And that joy remains and is full and complete. We don't have to stir up joy or manufacture it or pretend to be joyful. It is Jesus' joy that remains in us. It's from Him. He's the source. And then Jesus circles back around to love in our passage in verse 12. Verse 12 of John chapter 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know, it sounds really good when Jesus talks about he and the Father loving us. But this is a much more difficult statement to digest. He's saying, basically, okay, now that you know how much I love you, go and love others the same way and to the same degree. This is where I need the Holy Spirit to help me because it's beyond me to be able to love others as much as Jesus loves me. He loved me when I was unlovely, broken, missing parts and selfish and stained with sin against him. But then he goes on in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus was about to do that very thing. The greatest love someone can have that someone can show a friend is to lay down their life for that person, to sacrifice everything because of that person. That's the model Jesus left us with, to love others that deeply. But notice here Jesus' reference to friendship. Chuck Colson, when he got out of prison, gave a speech at an Ivy League school And as he began his address, a group of students began to heckle him and interrupt his speech. They shouted, how could you have defended Richard Nixon? And Colson looked at the hecklers and said, I defended him because he was my friend. And with that, the rest of the student body stood to their feet and applauded him thunderously. Because they recognized a trait in Colson that's not often found in politics. The importance of relationship and standing by a friend no matter what. Jesus continued with the theme of friendship in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I've been your rabbi or your teacher You've been my disciples or my students. You've been to my school. Today is graduation day. And from now on, I want you to look at me as your friend. A boyfriend of my wife Doreen's daughter, Gabby, was talking with Gabby on the phone when he heard Doreen's voice in the background. And so he said to Gabby on the phone, Hey, tell your mom, Hi, Doreen. And Doreen said, oh, no, no, no. 
No, he, he doesn't get to call me Doreen until I get to know him better. It's Mrs. Galesco for now. And later on, they continued to date, and Doreen told him, Chris, we're friends now. It's okay to call me Doreen. He says, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. Now, out of respect, he refused to call her Mrs. And finally, when we got married and I, she became Mrs. Jansen, then he consented to begin to call her Doreen. Jesus explains in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is showing his friendship to his disciples and to us. He is telling them everything, the deep things his father has told him. He says the master does not confide in a servant. That's a true friend. But here's the reality. Even though we have his peace, his love, and his joy, we also have participation in what he receives from the world. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We naturally want to share with others when we get excited about something, but but when it comes to sharing our faith in Christ, even the most excited new believers learn the hostility that people have towards Christ is deeply rooted in this world. The world hates the things of God. It can't be stated any other way. The world hates Christ. Unbelievers can tolerate Jesus as long as he's a stripped-down version that isn't offensive to their way of life. But if you show the real Christ, the biblical Christ, and declare your faith in him, you very well can be despised by this world. It shouldn't be a surprise that when people come to Christ and expect their lives to be happy and carefree, are sadly mistaken when the persecution begins, and often it comes from family and the ones who love you the most. Jesus said in verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We need to continue to pray for and witness to loved ones and others. The hope is that they'll come to find Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But we have to expect that some will reject everything and reject us for offering it. And if they reject Him, remember, a servant is not better than their master. And then finally, Jesus touched on the Holy Spirit again in verses 26 and 27 when He said, But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness 
about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit would both testify of Jesus and empower the disciples to testify of him in the face of the world's hatred, hostility, and persecution. This has been going on for 2,000 years and continues with Christians around the world witnessing for Christ today. So, in conclusion, I have to go back to the question. So, is there a price to be a Christian? As the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. There is a price, and Jesus paid it in full. It's out of love for him that we endure for a time the troubles of this day and that we abide in Him, and that we're obedient to Him. Not out of compulsion, but out of a love for Him and the price that He has paid for us. That's the price completely paid for. Let's pray. Father God, thank You Thank you that your grace and your mercy is sufficient for every aspect of who we are and what we experience and go through. We thank you, Father, for your protection, for your love, for your grace, for, your, for that mercy that, that extends to us freely from your love and grace towards us. Lord, we pray that your perfect will would be accomplished in us today that as we experience your love and understand and fully grasp how much you love us, Father, I pray that that joy and that peace that we knew when we first accepted you as Savior would flood our hearts and our lives and our experience and overflow to those around us that we would be a testimony of that love and joy for you. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.